0: Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach. Joining me is my usual co-host, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine, retired Navy Captain, Intel Officer Extraordinaire, Bill Hamlet. Bill, welcome.
1: Ward, it's great to be here. It is graduation week uh, at the Naval Academy, and um, the sun is finally out after uh, a rainy week last week. A lot of people were predicting that the entire class of 2018 was going to have to be submariners. (laughs) Uh, We were all close to... Uh, having to commute to work in uh, in a rowboat or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's the sun's out; it's beautiful. Uh, graduation week kicks off tomorrow. Is uh, Blue Angels practice day Wednesday? Today is, is Herndon. Today is Herndon. Uh, That's a Herndon big deal. Monument for the plebes. Uh, as of this afternoon, there'll be no more plebes. Uh, yeah, so it's always exciting to be here uh, during June week. And the Commander in Chief will be here Friday as the graduation speaker. So it's a big week.
0: Yeah. Um, so another bit of news that's uh pretty interesting is uh the Naval Institute Press has just launched a graphic novel imprint. Um we've talked about it before on the show, but it's actually live now, Dead Reckoning. You can uh, find out more at www. W, w, easy for me to say. wwwdeadreckoning.org uh or go up uh, Naval Institute uh or usni.org, um, but the, this is a very exciting development for the entire Naval Institute team and the membership, um, so check out that uh, website I just mentioned. The uh, titles that are available are uh, listed there. There's one called Machete Squad. There's The Stan, There's The Best of Don Winslow of the Navy, and there's Trench Dogs with the offerings so far, um, so this is really, really exciting for us. We're very, uh eager to see how the folks respond to it. Um, So check that out for sure. Um, So Bill, why don't we just get right to our guest?
1: Okay, uh, joining us today is Captain Andy Jampoler, US Navy retired. Andy was uh, a P-3 pilot during his career, he commanded Patrol Squadron 19, he commanded Naval Air Station Moffett Field out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, He is a Naval Institute Press author, uh, the author of a book called ADAC, The Rescue of Alpha Foxtrot 586, which was a story of a U.S. Navy P-3 that crash-landed, ditched at sea in, in a horrific storm uh, somewhere in the waters between uh, Alaska and the Soviet Union. Um, that that book came out in, uh, I think, nineteen ninety, uh, sorry 2003. Uh, really exciting story. And Andy's the author in the May issue of Proceedings of an article called 2017 Tested the Naval Profession. Uh, a look at the operational and moral lapses that dogged the service as global threats grew. So, Andy, uh, thanks for joining us today from Leesburg, Virginia. How are things out there?
2: Uh, just as you described it in Annapolis, we finally have a sunny and beautiful day, uh, beginning to dry out after what was almost the uh, Philippines weather here uh, over the past week. And I'm, I'm happy to be with you. Thank you for the invitation.
1: So, Andy, this piece, um, the the 2017 Test of the Profession, it starts on page 56 of the May issue of Proceedings. Uh, This was a piece that our uh, editorial board actually uh, commissioned. So we always are looking, uh, particularly at the end of our editorial board meetings, we have a free play discussion. Um, For listeners who don't know, the editorial board is made up of active duty professionals, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, E9 through O6. Right now, we always have a, a conversation about what's happening in the sea services, uh, what's been on the pages of proceedings, and what hasn't been. And if it hasn't been, uh, why not? And who should write about it? So uh, we, we we did not have people in the service writing about the the problems of Glen Defense Marine or the collisions of 2017. And so we went to you and asked you to to take a look at, you know, the really tough issues for the Navy in in, uh, the the 2017 time frame. And you wrote this uh, article, which is a tough one, uh, but, you know, it's a little bit of tough love for the sea services. So can you describe it a bit?
2: I I can, but let me begin with uh, a defense of self, okay? Uh, This is a very tough article. It's, uh, It's critical, almost unremittingly critical. And there's a... A Cassandra note of uh, fearfulness and worry in it as well and i'd I'd like to begin our conversation by saying i uh I enjoyed my naval service enormously i'm I'm proud of, of what I did and pleased to have had the opportunity to do it and I would be discouraged and disappointed if people read the piece as a nasty commentary from a distant outsider uh, it is not it is uh it is written uh, with a very heartfelt uh, judgment, and that judgment is, uh, as, as you've described, a very critical one. Uh, when Fred Rainbow came to me and asked me to think about uh, Glen Defense Marine uh, originally and to write about it uh, as the uh, Tailhook Convention was written about years and years ago, a very careful, thoughtful, no-punches-pulled look at, at what had happened inside the Navy, I agreed, as the article unfolded, it became more complicated than that. It, it subsumed the collisions in the Pacific and then became a more a broader judgment about the ability of the Navy to perform its peacetime roles and wartime missions. And I, I concluded uh, that, uh, that that ability was very seriously impaired and open to profound question. And quite candidly, I was surprised that the proceedings went ahead with it. It encourages me that uh, that you elected to proceed with a piece that is as somber uh, as this one is.
1: Well, you you bring up a good point, and I think uh, you know. Oftentimes, we are uh, inspired by the words of our uh, board chairman, Admiral Stavridis, uh, at our uh, annual meeting that was held a few weeks ago at CSIS in Washington. Uh, Admiral Stavridis was talking about um, the the upcoming retirement of our editor-in-chief, Fred Rainbow, my boss. Uh, and Admiral Stavridis said something that I thought was very wise. He said, you know, it, it is hard to uh, both love the Navy and to hold up a mirror that shows the Navy, it, you know, it's good and it's bad. It's warts and all, right? And that's something that uh, the Open Forum has aspired to do you know, not just during Fred's tenure as the editor-in-chief, but going back to 1874. And I, I think your piece has done that. I mean, you know, you you are a retired, you know, uh, uh, captain. Uh, as you said, you love the service. Uh, I think we all here in, in the Naval Institute do and did as well. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you have to hold up that mirror that shows, uh, it shows the hard things that the service is going through and needs to struggle with. So uh, thanks for writing this. And our, our editorial board uh, was very positive about the piece uh, as well uh, when, they, when they got it and saw it uh, back in, I think, in April. Um, one, one of the things you, you bring up towards the end of the article is uh, the question, is the Navy duplicating the unseen slow decline of the Royal Navy? In the era between Trafalgar and Jutland, and you cite the the, the uh, Andy Gordon uh, book, *The Rules of the Game*, uh, and that's an interesting piece. We've we had um, a few other authors uh, and and podcast guests in the last year uh, mention that. Uh, the Decline of the of the Royal Navy, the Victoria Moment, uh, I think Dale Relog mentioned uh, on the podcast or in, a, in an article uh, for Proceedings Today. Talk a little bit about that book and about um, what you mean by that question.
2: It, it's an almost irresistible comparison. It, uh, first, it's an excellent book. And as you read through it, you realize that the Royal Navy spends a century preparing itself completely inappropriately. What they end up with in the moments or the years before Jutland, the years before World War One, is a brilliantly trained cadre of, of uh, rockets dancers. The fleet maneuvers superbly, uh, you know, flags blowing in the wind, everybody on the deck looking handsome and capable, and then suddenly... When they're committed to the, what should have been the absolutely decisive battle at sea in the First World War, uh, they turn out to be incapable of concluding that victoriously, because the previous century has has pushed them in the wrong direction, willingly pushed. Uh, it Sounds like the, the Royal Navy is forced, and that's not the case at all. All of a sudden, uh, on on the deck of the battle cruisers going in, into war the flag officers realize there's something terribly wrong. And what that something is, the system that has produced them, the system that has produced the tactics, uh, the communications, and, and all the rest of it, was wrong for the times. And my fear is, as I thought about Glen Defense Marine and as I thought about those collisions, that these two profound lapses in, in the performance of officers uh, that these two profound lapses suggested that we were experiencing that same kind of a fundamental error that we had created a navy and, and more specifically, an officer corps that was wrong for the times. And I, I don't, I don't know that I make that case uh, conclusively, but I found it persuasive that we, in 2017, should have realized that something was really badly off the rails, and that the corrective is not what what seems to be coming out of it, the idea that we just need more money, that that's the solution. The corrective is more profound than that and that it needs to be found in a reappraisal of the officer corps as a corps and in a reappraisal on the part of the individuals who proudly wear that uniform uh, of their role in what's happening and how they should perform.
0: So have we had our Trafalgar and uh, are we between Trafalgar and Jutland, um, or where where are we to to fully blow out this historical analogy? Yeah, I,
2: <laughs> I don't want to overwork that, although it's 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 fetching and compelling. I think what we should say to ourselves is 2017 was like Jutland. We mm-hmm. have suddenly discovered that we're not very good at what we're supposed to do. That uh, between contracting corruption and sending ships to sea that are incapable of a routine ocean transit, uh, that we have been warned. And that that warning comes, Which is, and this is the second piece of the article, that warning comes at a time of grave peril. The world today is more turbulent, more complicated, and more threatening, uh, I argued, than it has been since the 1930s. That uh, this combination of a... Of a navy that is depleted in many respects, and a world that is more threatening than one we faced in a long time, is scary and And my article was intended to to raise that combination of dangerous times and poor performance so that people could think about it and respond to it.
0: so uh, another analogy you you make, Andy, is uh, to tailhook ninety one. And uh, so that—that's. Uh, uh,
2: that, that, took... that's where the story began. Fred was looking, I think, for a look at the contracting uh, catastrophe in the same way that the Naval Institute, a few years after Tailhook, in an absolutely superb article, studied uh, what Tailhook had meant, what it had done, and its impact on— uh, on the officer corps more generally, uh, the piece was uh, by Colonel Hayes Parks in 1994, and I think that's what what Fred was looking for—that uh, kind of a judgment about what did Glen Defense Marine and Fat Leonard mean. Uh, what what he and you guys got was something a little more broad
0: than that. Right. So, just to put a finer point on on that sidebar item. Um, having lived through the the fallout from, from Tailhook 91 uh, as a, a Tomcat Rio. Um, let me just read an excerpt of the sidebar here. In the years since 91, two very different storylines have emerged from Tailhook. One narrative focuses on the shameful and in some cases criminal behaviors of some at the convention, each exposing a profound failure by an individual naval officer to adhere to the profession's standards of conduct, and also the Navy's oblivious, or I'm sorry, obvious difficulties in dealing with the group's lawlessness. This was encapsulated by the DOD OIG as the, quote, culmination of a long-term failure of leadership of naval aviation, end quote. And this is the part that really was the the uh, long-term consequence of of tailhook to my eye, uh, which is the other storyline looks less at what happened in the corridors of the Hilton and more at how those events were explored by investigators, attorneys, and how, in turn, overlapping legal processes affected the careers, and prospects of those caught up in or somehow cast in the shadow of the scandal that tailhook 91 has so swiftly become. So let's take that parallel path, those two narratives uh, and apply it to um, the fat Leonard scandal. We,
2: we see the same thing in that scandal. Uh, there is at one level, a, a legal issue. What happened, uh, how do we treat with that through the justice system, and what happens to those who are guilty, and how do we satisfy ourselves that the innocent are not maltreated uh, as a consequence of the process? So uh, that, that's an exact parallel. It, the Navy has, I, I think more broadly, uh, the Defense Department has real problems in dealing with large lapses in professional performance. Uh, And the other piece of that narrative becomes there is a great fear in the institution that uh, it will be stigmatized and that uh, the selection processes, the promotion processes, will be unfairly interfered with on the part, almost inevitably, of Congress. So there's this very defensive reaction. Uh, you saw that, I think, most explicitly in former Secretary John Lehman's writing about this. Uh, what, what to me, and, and obviously I'm not a tailhook guy, what to me looked like quite simply a fairly large number of young men behaving very badly, uh, became in his in his piece a sort of defense of a culture that I thought was uh, curiously off the mark. Uh, In uh, in the Fat Leonard investigation, we see a little bit of this, too, because inevitably, as the Navy copes with a large-scale failure of of officers to perform uh, according to the standards of the profession, inevitably that trickles into the promotion system, into the assignment system, and it becomes very difficult uh, to manage that and at the same time to treat with the legal issues uh, we've seen that uh, again here glen defense marine as we saw in tailhook
0: yeah well i think what the the needle that secretary Lehman was trying to to thread or the eye of the needle uh is problematic once the the horse is i mean i'm just doing a million analogies at once here but uh <laughs> um once the horse is out of the barn right uh, so he was he was trying to Um, differentiate sexual battery from the trappings of, uh, you know, tactical aviation culture. Yep. Um, And and so, you know, call signs and and, and bravado and uh, whatever among consenting adults uh, he was saying should not be penalized in the face of what was potentially a, uh, you know, what was a small number of those Relative that that uh, performed uh, sexual assault uh, on the third floor there, but in the you know in the light of day when it gets out of the hands of the tailhook community and into the hands of the political appointees, uh, that there there is no place for that sort of nuance, right? And so that's sort of what we've seen um, in in Fat Leonard with the think- overcorrection, right?
2: I think, I think that's right. Um, I, I would introduce here very quickly the comment that uh, Lehman did some brilliant things. Uh, he was uh, arguably the father of the notion of the 600-ship Navy, and today when we, we suffer dramatically trying to build a Navy, something slightly larger than half that size, we have to credit him for explaining to government, explaining to Washington, explaining to the people why... Uh, Navy needs to be big enough to do what it is we expect it to do for us on the high seas. Uh, we have not made that argument very successfully in the decades since. That said, uh, his I thought was a reflexive defense of a lifestyle uh, that uh, it inevitably uh, finds its expression in wartime when tensions are high and and young people are are high on on adrenaline and testosterone. And I I thought his defense was overdrawn. I. I think in fact there was a, a astonishingly bad a performance on the part of a small group at Tailhook and it should have been acknowledged simply as such without a, a global defensive culture as uh, as he laid it out. But yeah,
0: I mean that's I mean that's a good point. I the uh, L- secretary Lehman loved the all the trappings of the profession. Yep. You know, flight jackets um He wanted us to be able to wear flight suits in and out of the gate. He came up with aviation greens, brown shoes. That was a layman uh, thing, you know, that lives to this day. Um, You know, very much uh, probably uh, maybe the only part of his uniform selection legacy that lives on. Um, So on that front, it was sort of like pride in the uh, warfare specialty and even more specific tailhook aviation. Right. He was very he, he loved um, he loved to hang out at the O Club when he was in town, all that sort of thing. But to your point, um, that in the wrong hands in terms of the leadership failure can be read as a tacit um, uh, approval for yep. misdeeds, right? Yep. And, and and so I will further say I, I uh, was aide to a three-star who was at Tailhook 91, was not present on the third floor uh, and did not see any bad behavior, but received a, a non punitive letter of caution that ended his career as a function of just being there right and,
2: and this and this closes the loop on that you're right it's too easy to be tarred uh, by those those brushes by association and and clearly the service the navy has to defend itself from from sort of wholesale accusations on the part of unknowing critics. At the same time, in exchange for that, we have to be very careful to police our own house appropriately. Uh, As I was researching this piece, I ended up talking to uh, a number of people about Glenn defense contracting. And one of the storylines was, well, yeah, all all that might be true, but they do a really good job supporting the fleet. And after all, the East was ever thus. You, you you, You have to remember that there's a hustle going on everywhere. And uh, you cannot be surprised by that. And I, frankly, found that astonishing. Uh, this sort of Kipling defense of, uh, of, of the hustle, the Asian hustle in the Glenn Defense Marine was sort of characteristic of that, and we should be prepared to anticipate that, accept it, and understand it, uh, I thought it was a moral compromise. And without sounding too rigid and unyielding, uh, or maybe sounding rigid and unyielding, that, that response offended me
0: but that's that's the trick though right because this the, the the analog of that attitude holds up for the tailhook yep. example right which is as you said as was ever thus right so um whether it's uh what we used to call mediterranean rules or uh whether it's how how do you uh earn the loyalty of a of a wingman how do you earn the trust of a pilot um you know this this in the light of twenty eighteen uh it it looks pretty warped you know and and I think of my first squadron when the c o would address what were the the ground rules of deployment um you know not to get any details, but that skipper would get fired on the spot if he was to offer similar guidelines now um and and so I think what I saw over the course of my career, and I was year group 82 and I was in for 20 years. So as I said, I lived through the tailhook uh, trauma, um, which had a cultural impact and morale was low as a result of the overreach, if you will. Uh, and that's not an excuse for the misdeeds. But somewhere along there, the old guard, the Vietnam era uh, mm-hmm. JOs who are now skippers, didn't quite get the memo. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it, you sort of something happens uh in terms of a crisis and then all everybody is then made aware of what they maybe should have known in terms of their leadership responsibilities and also where they should have stymied the chain of events and been the white knight that showed up and go hey eastern um you know graft and corruption be what it may we're not going to do business this way anymore right but imagine imagine who that guy has to be when the pass down had nothing but, you know, hey, watch it this gal happen, um you'll have some dinners, uh just be advised every woman in the room is a prostitute, you know, and that's the that's the end of it. He's not told don't deal with Fat Leonard, you know? Um so it seems like the the twig branches and everybody else uh that had their picture taken with him. Uh, besides the ones who are actually guilty of, you know, absolute misdeeds, um, were kind of set up, right, at some level. And that's, well, that's not a comp out for what your responsibilities of leadership are, um, you know, but uh, it just, when I was thinking about tailhook, what should have been done, what I know about the guy I was A to is, quite frankly, he had no idea what, a lieutenant below was capable of, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't think they knew that, that this could happen, right? Uh, that's so
2: interesting defense, given that the guy himself had been a lieutenant sometime in the past.
0: Yeah, uh, but I, again, the trappings of a convention and sexual battery, sure, there's a huge sure, difference sure. there, right?
2: Sure, sure. The, the, the piece that arrested me as I was doing the research on, on uh, Fat Leonard and The sources I very deliberately put in the article, because I I hope that people will do their own uh, fact-checking of of what I'm saying. Uh, The the thing that arrested me was a conclusion that, as I read through specifically what the district attorney in in San Diego was writing, every contact uh, Leonard made with a naval officer or with, with, with anybody in the Navy, everyone, had as its purpose the seduction of, of his conversational partner. Uh, and it's astonishing uh, how many were taken in by that. And in the final analysis to the defense we have against that sort of thing is the individual officer or the individual sailor saying, wait a minute, what's the motivation here? What's happening to me, and how do I respond appropriately? And... Uh, we're going to see this again in the future it happens uh, again and again in different guises and uh, one of the purposes of the piece was to was to say stop and think about it when you catch yourself in you know it, it, participating in something like this understand what's happening to you and respond appropriately the standards of the profession are absolutely clear adhere to them
1: yeah. do the right
2: thing it- yeah there, and that sounds simple minded, but it does. Fact, it, that's what it boils down. It to. It does.
1: It definitely boils down to that. Hey, um, one other piece that that comes out uh, through reading your your article, a, a, almost subtly, is the the impact of the slow wheels of justice, the the tarnishing of, you know, the good with the bad, right? And and how long it took for uh, individual cases to be cleared. Yep. Right. And so some of those people came up against the DAPMA 30, you know, 35 year or 30 year, uh, career limit, uh, for an officer to serve. Um, you know, some of them just, they, you know, they while well, their classmates or, or colleagues were, uh, were promoted and they were on hold because of, you yep. know, the, the investigation grinding on slowly, um, that has an impact not just on those officers, the 60 or 100, uh, you know, or so flag officers who ended up having to be questioned and investigated and all that, but it also has a, a, um, it has an impact on other, you know, more junior people watching somebody who they admire get ground down in a process that that tarnishes all right? Uh, talk talk uh, about that a little bit because it comes out in in several of your paragraphs, uh, you know, sort of subtly
2: but that's that's completely correct the The process is necessarily so slow and and often so public that the combination rattles uh, the navy's personnel uh, officer corps management system. It rattles the promotion process, the assignment process. It also raises anxieties on the part of observers who don't understand how the two intersect. How does the pursuit of justice intersect with the business of operating uh, a fleet at sea and a navy ashore, given the long timelines and the uh, necessarily confusing process and the publicity that is attendant to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there, there were uh, honest and honorable Navy people whose careers were adversely affected by the mechanics both of, of how uh, Tailhook unfolded through the succession of sort of dueling investigations, and also by the Fat Leonard investigation. And balancing that off is an exceedingly complex thing to do, and I would guess in the first instance, Where that comes together is in the office of the Secretary of the Navy, who's got to manage, uh, for the Navy anyway, who's got to manage the legal process on the one hand and the personnel and, and morale implications on the other in a way that's fair to both, in a way that honors the law and honors the profession at the same time. And that turns out to be exceedingly difficult to do. And uh, you can see how difficult it is in the reporting about both of these, about a tailhook, which several times at least in, in articles that I read was described as the worst thing to happen to the Navy since the raid on Pearl Harbor. I find that kind of an astonishing conclusion, but it it pops up again and again. And the same process in the, uh, in the Leonard contracting scandal, the Glen Defense Marine contracting scandal, where... It goes on for so long; it seems to impl- implicate all kinds of people, and it's not clear exactly uh, what happened to whom, and who is the guilty party, and who has simply been uh, battered by association somehow. Difficult, difficult to do well, and uh, we haven't done it particularly well either in Tailhook or in Glen Defense Marine.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I remember. Um I was a squadron intel officer in an F-18 squadron back in the late 80s, uh, guys that I knew um, who did not go to Tailhook 91, but watched as, you know, NCIS investigators rolled into ready rooms and assumed, you know, uh, did did not follow... Uh, well, remember, it was NIS. At NIS that yeah. at that time, right? Yeah. But yeah. But, you know, but uh, a lot of the... Uh, I mean, they were questioned without given a chance to, you know, have a lawyer present. I mean, there was an awful lot of the justice was, uh, you know, sort of evaporated and and there was an assumption of guilt. If you were somebody who flew pointy nose airplanes, you were automatically guilty. And and I saw, you know, really good guys who were were not there, uh, you know, who, who were not, you know, did not go to tailhook 91, but but watched and saw how the process drew out. And they made a decision you know, well, I think I'm going to go to the airlines. I I don't think I need this. I don't think I want to uh, end up, you know, spending 17 or 18 years of my career and then, you know, something could happen and I could be derailed as I'm watching, you know, more senior, more senior guys get their careers derailed. Thank you very much. But I think I'll just go fly for United. And um, and, and a lot of, you know, really good leaders got out. It's It's always hard to measure who got out because you don't know what their impact mm-hmm. would have been had they stayed in. But it, you know, th- that's how, um, you know, th- that's, that's one of the, uh, unintended consequences, uh, as things kind of, you know, so on.
0: So Andy, th- what, what would it, do we think could have stopped the the, 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 and I'm talking specifically about fat Leonard, because I think we know what could have prevented either one of the mishaps, um, last summer, um but just like with tailhook you know you go back in time and for me having it now i wasn't at 91 i was at 90 um and uh you could see some of that energy uh sort of happening it 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 in fact i took admiral stockdale who was uh uh signing books at the naval institute booth um and fred rainbow said hey can you take take admiral stockdale up to the third floor so he can say hi to the bo- the boys i thought it was an awesome idea how cool would that be right so we go up there and it is mayhem and he's getting jostled and a couple of times he drew his fist back. I'm like, this is not good. So I put him back on the elevator, said, sorry, sir. And uh, he was on his way. And I just thought, what a shame that that naval aviation great can't enjoy himself with uh, you know, the current, current folks who are doing the job. You know. And all it took between 1991 and was Desert Storm. And so now it's like Genghis Khan time. We won. We can do whatever we want. Now, never mind that uh, most of the bad, the evildoers were uh, RF4 guys who'd lost their airplanes and flight students and flight instructors. Um, I don't think any of them were members actually of the Taylor Association. But never mind that. To my mind, if what what I don't get is if you're in a situation, a social situation, and the female guests are getting mauled how do you not step in and go dude she is not digging your act right that's what i don't get is the sort of um peer policing piece that that was that was seriously missing um so to apply that to fat leonard what do we think as you've read all the reports and and uh, you know you you have a thirty thousand foot view what could have shunted the chain of events before a crisis potentially it
2: it it's not institutional it's personal uh the reason i i floated the idea that leonard's every approach to everyone in uniform was an act of seduction is because the personal response to that is simply to be that uh, in your own code of ethics as you listen to somebody having this conversation with you you have to say this is wrong it is criminal uh, I'm being seduced, and my answer is no. And it's that lapse at that level that I find uh, I find scary. Uh, no one who was was approached by leonard and and suborned by him could not have understood what was going on and And those who rejected him uh, are, are honorable uh, men and women, and those who didn't are dishonorable. and how you inculcate a sense of honor, a sense of professional ethics and responsibility, I'm not sure, but that's the answer. Uh, it is the answer as well in, uh, across the board. Uh, we haven't talked much about the collisions in the Pacific, but what we see there is, is failures in professional performance. And uh, they're failures that are, if you've gotten a chance to, to take a look at a book about the el faro sinking uh, it's just come out, so perhaps you haven't seen it It's Rachel blade's book uh, into the raging sea what the explanation for that horrific loss of life and property is the utter failure of the master of the ship to understand what was going on and to respond appropriately and the lack of support from the shore establishment of his company it's the same thing with those collisions. Uh, it's a failure on the part of officers in command to perform their functions and of their supervisors and seniors to prepare them for the mission at hand. And just like Fat Leonard, what it comes down to is uh, a commissioned officer has, has to perform uh, his profession honorably and, and well. And failures inevitably can be... Traced to the performance of some individual somewhere who didn't meet the standards of what he was supposed to be doing, and uh, for what it's worth, my plea in this in this uh, piece is that people s- stop and think about what what that uniform means, what their role in the organization is, and behave accordingly.
0: so are you sanguine that we we will learn the lessons and 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 emerge? Stronger or uh, where how does this go? In, in...
2: I, I think I think the answer is yes. I, I would be wildly optimistic if I thought that from now on going forward, it would be nirvana, but I think both of these searing experiences, and you can see you can hear them in the uh, change of command speeches that have been given subsequently. Both of these searing lapses, these horrific failures, uh, have profoundly shaken the profession. and I think to its benefit, I think there's going to be a more careful look at what are our standards, how do we adhere to them, why are they important, and, and what does seduction and what does incompetence look like uh, at sea and at shore, ashore. That, that sounds awfully stiff moralizing, but, but what we're talking about is immoral failures, and, uh, and I think moralizing is appropriate in that context.
1: Well, I don't think uh, we could add anything to that to uh, to improve on that thought. I th- I think you wrapped it up very well. And Andy, thank you so much for writing this article. As I mentioned at the start of this interview, uh, it was one, it, it, two topics that uh, had a huge impact on the Navy in 2017. Uh, we did not have um, you know proceedings authors uh, writing about them. Uh, I mean the 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 um, the Fitzgerald and the McCain. Uh, of course, we had a lot written about those, but the sort of uh, the Glen Defense Marine issue and, the, um, you know, what they meant together um, had not been covered. And so our editorial board recognized that gap. Uh, we reached out to you because you've written uh, for Proceedings in Naval History and, and for the press uh, so many times uh, impressively over the years. And, and you, you put together a really hard piece. Uh, But one I think that anybody in the profession uh, should take the time to read and ponder and, and, you know, maybe read a couple of times and let it sink in. So thank you for uh, for having written. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, It was great talking to you. And um, we look forward to uh, your next book or books and your next uh, proceedings article. So thanks again for joining us.
2: You bet. I appreciate the invitation. Have a great day, guys. You too. See ya.
1: Okay, well, that wraps up our 28th uh, episode of the podcast, which is terrific. This is uh, graduation week here at the Naval uh, Academy. And as we've been uh, interacting with midshipmen who are about to graduate, uh, we uh, we like to remind people that victory begins at the U.S. Naval Institute. Have a great week.